do you feel today? Here is how the angel Gabriel described Mary, mother of Jesus. Favored one. Favored one. That may not be how she felt every day, and I'm sure that's not how mothers feel every day. But how we feel and what is reality are not always the same. But this is how Gabriel described Mary, favored one. And throughout the the centuries, we would remember her as a favored one. She was the mother of Jesus. But she was human. She had other children. She was not perfect. Only Jesus was perfect. And so we're going to look at this woman's life as a mother through seven time periods or seven stages of motherhood and how she was favored in every stage of life. And I can tell you this, (laughs) sometimes I'll look at this and I'll I'll even laugh out loud and say, I'm sure she wasn't feeling really favored. (laughs) But she was. And now as we look back, we have the ability now to look way back into time and to to walk through this scenario of her motherhood and see how she was favored. But I want to make an application to where you are personally. Every person here, children, dads, singles, women that have not had children, you are God's favored one. He knew you before time. He loved you. He has favored you. And he is for you. Now the tension that Mary felt in these seven stages of life is the same type of tension you also feel when things aren't lining up with feeling favored. And so I want to be able to make that application because I believe the scriptures are so clear about God's knowledge of you, his love for you, his purpose for your life, the fact that he is for you. And you are his favored son and you are his favored daughter. And that's what he wants you every day to wake up and remember that you are also his favored one. So here is our text. We're going to read through Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 35. What you'll, you'll see this as I, as, I, as I read through this. You're going to see how this story develops. Try as much as you can to put yourself back where Mary was hearing these things and experiencing these things. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph and the descendants of Joseph. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at the statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation or greeting this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. So this favored one, 
story begins in Luke as we read about her through the different transitions of motherhood. The first one we'll begin with is the time period of anticipation. Looking forward to something. Well, really all of Israel was looking forward to the Messiah. In fact, they were looking for the one who would reign in his kingdom. Do you remember how we've we've talked before about they're looking for this kingdom to be one to crush the Romans and deliver them politically? And that will come on earth. But the first kingdom that Jesus wanted to rule was over the hearts of people. He wanted them to come to salvation and eternal life. And this is his first coming that he desires to accomplish that. So in Israel, there was anticipation, this kind of longing and hope for the Messiah to come now and deliver them from their problems. You know, I think a lot of people view God that way. We want him to come now and deliver us from our problems. And we don't see that he wants to come and deliver us from the root of our problems. And so they were a little bit misunderstanding or misanticipating him. Because when he did come, they crucified him. In Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, this is, this is the prophet Isaiah we read in the Old Testament. And, and he's actually penning these words 700 years before Mary. And we actually have found scrolls rolled up, dated back to to centuries before Mary, that say this, Behold, a virgin will conceive. That'll get get your attention. (laughs) A virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you'll call his name Emmanuel, which by interpretation means God with us. So this was... This is what they would base their anticipation on. So that's the anticipation of the the public at large. The anticipation of Mary would probably be like a typical young girl. Uh, She was most likely a teenager at the time. (laughs) Um, She was engaged or betrothed to Joseph, which is really... you've entered into a formal arrangement, almost a proving ground of the integrity of your faithfulness to one another. And in that culture, if the one you're engaged to found out that you were unfaithful, he would have a right to put you away or divorce you. That's why it talks about Joseph even considering this, because this this is just blowing their minds. What's happening? But you can imagine Mary as a young girl closing her eyes and dreaming about what it would be like to be married, (laughs) what that guy is going to look like. Now, I know that you high school girls, you do this all the time because you tell me you do it all the time. I'm I'm kidding. (laughs) But we all imagine. We all anticipate And so she may have (laughs) closed her eyes and imagined, I wonder what it will be like to be married and to have children and what they'll look like and what we'll do and and how all that will be. I still remember when I used to do that, probably not in high school, but in college, I'd close my eyes and think, I just kind of wonder. I had all these ideas in my mind, what she's going to look like and what she's going to be and Actually, I got better than what I ever imagined, so I was pretty fortunate. (laughs) But we're like that, aren't we? We anticipate. We have expectations. And we dream about things. So you have the perspective of the world anticipating the Messiah to deliver them from Romans. You have Mary and just doing life. I mean, she's just a girl. She's just thinking about family, kids, home, you know, that sort of thing. And then you have God. What does he anticipate? God doesn't anticipate anything because he sees everything. God doesn't have to close his eyes and imagine what it will be like. God has a plan. He is the creator. 
He is the designer. And remember how I said this? Consistently through the scriptures, not just in this place, but we find that God has known you, loved you, is for you, has a plan for your life. And so he sees all of this. And, and what God sees in reality is better than you have the ability to imagine. Now, the text of Scripture, you write this down because it's a great reference to this. In Ephesians um, chapter 3 and verses 20 and 21, it says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly. That's how it is in, I think, the old language. But immeasurably more. He is able to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or think. In other words, in, in your wildest dreams, uh, imaginations of what life could be, he is able to do immeasurably more. So, <laughs> In the anticipation of your future, your future, your future, your, my future, God, his plan is so far beyond and so much better than you could ask or imagine. Isn't that encouraging? So this is leading up to this passage of scripture. So that's anticipation. Second phase that we go into is, I mean, up, and, up until this point, she's just a girl. <laughs> she has her dreams and imagination, expectations, anticipation. Now comes this announcement, and we find it in verses 28 and 29. And this is Gabriel speaking, and he says to her, greetings, favored one, which would be shocking to see an angel. <laughs> the Lord is with you. That's great. But then she's perplexed. Some of your translations will say she was fearful, but it was more than just being afraid of, it's not like a, afraid of this angel, it's perplexed. What does this mean? I'm not really understanding what's happening here. And she was pondering this. You go down to verse 34, and, and Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Then he explains that the seed of this son is of the Holy Ghost. If the seed were of Joseph, he would be a sinner because that's just the line of sin goes all the way back to Adam. So this is why the necessity of the virgin birth is you cannot have the perfect God-man without sin, without flaw, who comes under the line of Adam. It comes from the line of God, the Holy Spirit, which is, this is all miraculous and miraculous work. So here's, here's what this, this announcement is. The angel Gabriel is announcing her future and it's impossible. Would you say that it's impossible for a virgin to have a child? <laughs> That's impossible. And that's what's startling her. When God announces his will for your life, it too will be impossible. Now you say, well, where is that in the Bible? I'd say start in Genesis and go all the way to Revelation. Because every single time you see God calling one of his favored ones to do something, to follow him, to go somewhere, to obey him. They're like, that's impossible. That's the point. God will not call his favored ones to a task that they are equal to. I'm not equal to the task God calls me to, and you are not equal to the task God has called you to. You cannot eternally make a difference in the place he has appointed you without him. To me, this is an amazing statement. So in our, our reading this afternoon, 
We read up through, for, through verse 35, but look at what it says in verse 37, just two verses past what we read. This is another verse you need to write down, put it on a card, stick it on your mirror. <laughs> Here's how it goes. For nothing will be impossible with God. And let me tell you, friends, you need to learn that. You notice the difference with God. With me, there are a lot of things that are impossible. And, and most importantly here, his will. <laughs> I cannot follow him. When, when, when he says, follow me, or go and I'll be with you, he's calling us to him in relationship, to walk with him in relationship, to go with him in relationship, in impossibilities. So if you're feeling overwhelmed and you're feeling like, I can't do that, that's good because that is the reality. I love this. Nothing will be impossible with God. And just as God has intervened here to miraculously bring about the God-man, the Son of God, through Mary... In your life, God will accomplish impossible things. That's the announcement. Let's look at the arrival. The actual arrival is in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. I'll not read that, but that's just basically um, Jesus comes. <laughs> you know, so nine months later, whatever, um, we, we've gone from the announcements being sent out to the arrival. And uh, arrivals are interesting. I love it how doctors give, you know, expected dates. You know, everybody has a due date. And what does a due date mean? <laughs> well, I mean, that's what you kind of think or you hope. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, sometimes you can plan it. Sometimes it's not planned. Um, I remember our, our daughter when... Uh, we're, we're waiting, the due date comes and goes, and, and it's um, days after that, and we're thinking, well, that, that wasn't right, so you're, you know, all the bags are packed, and you're ready, and every moment you're just ready, and then it was, I'm not sure if it was a second or third one, I remember Diane waking me up in the dead sleep and shaking me, it's time, it's time, and I, and I jumped up, and I ran around the bed, and I ran into my closet and grabbed my bag, and I thought, oh, I think I'm going to be sick. <laughs> it's, it's kind of tough being a father. I know most of you guys will appreciate that. <clears throat> and she said, what are you doing? I said, I don't know. I don't know. I said, she said, we, we've got to go. And I said, are you sure? And she just looks at me like, <laughs> my water just broke. I take it that that's a yes. <clears throat> well, the timing. And you think if, if God is, has planned the birth of his son on the earth, it would be the perfect timing, wouldn't you? I mean, perfect God, perfect plan, perfect timing. So when is it time for Mary to deliver? <clears throat> right in the middle of a road trip. So you think something, something's not right here. Can you see how all of a sudden you get frustration and frustration? Does God know what he's doing? And I think in any one of our scenarios of our path in life, we can start wondering about what, what is God doing here? And I think back to our first child, you know, and, and um, Diane was, you know, waiting a day, another day, another day. And I, and I said, I, I forget if she mentioned it to me or I mentioned it to her, but, you know, I had this old 68 Ford pickup. I said, why don't we just go drive around in that truck and, you know, because it was not smooth at all. I said, maybe that'll just make things start that. I'm not sure we actually did that. <laughs> But I, I kind of laughed in thinking about the donkey ride. Can you imagine that? The donkey ride from up the northern part of this uh, 
Mediterranean area in Nazareth all the way to Jerusalem and, and particularly to, to Bethlehem because that's where, where Joseph was from. And you would think that Caesar wanting people to pay their taxes and take a census, he would have got his timing with God on all of this. Because this is not a, a planned trip. You know, typically the Jews would go three times a year to Jerusalem and, and they'd celebrate. But this was, this was not a planned trip. This is all of a sudden, boom, we got to go. All the way down past Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Wouldn't you know it? Not a place to stay. So they're staying in a manger. Now, I know when you see the Christmas cards, it's a beautiful thing. But it's, it was a cave. That's where shepherds stay. That's where they would stay at night. So it's, it's a cave in Bethlehem. <laughs> and, and she is taking this trip, riding this donkey, great with child. And it is exactly God's timing. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6 says it, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. In other words, at the exact Precise time, God sent his son. So as God is performing his plan for your life, he functions a lot the same. His timetable, and you know, God is really timeless for one thing. Remember, he's eternal and timeless, so he's not worried about the clock or the date. He, he's bringing all things together perfectly. I'm sure it didn't seem perfect to this couple. Having to travel when she's ready to deliver, getting to Bethlehem, not having a place to stay. It, it would be very, very difficult. So that's the arrival. And remember this, that as God is performing these things, starting to initiate a path when there is opposition, difficulty, it's all part of what he's doing in many, many places. So that's the arrival. Number four, I think what's the next phase of life of having children, little children? So this is the word I have, activity. <laughs> activity. So when I look out and I see... Liz and Tonisha and Whitney and Tanya and Megan and others of you moms, and I look into the faces of these innocent, beautiful children, and their eyes are just kind of like... I think we've got even twins on the back row here today that are... I know they're just... Their eyes are going. They're not even clued in on what I'm actually saying about them. <laughs> There's nothing sweeter than kids. But let me tell you something. It, when, when the kids are little and small, it is the busiest time of your life. There is no rest. I get an amen on that one? I mean, they want to eat. They need to sleep. It, it doesn't. You don't put them on pause. So Diane this last week took a trip out to California to help Reed and Heather. They're in Lodi getting settled in. They got three grandkids. And, and I'm, so I'm getting pictures and I'm thinking, she's just going, 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 going. I'm thinking, how's she doing that? I kind of remember the days when our kids were young and she gets back and she goes, I am exhausted. <laughs> and a wonderful time with those kids. And what a, what a treasured time we have now as parents. Now, most of you didn't know this, but we had a baby come to our home this year, still with us, uh, February 27th, and we've been caring for a baby um, since then. And uh, it hasn't been super stressful. Um, baby's name is Baby Yoda. Um, you may recognize baby, the name Baby Yoda, but I actually got this from Brian Gayton. He had the Baby Yoda doll. And if you've not seen this, then where have you been? But uh, so the baby Yoda doll I got for Diane on February 27th, her birthday. And so when you put your hand on baby Yoda's head, he'll kind of coo and make some sound and he'll even, you know, 
the force. <laughs> and so Diane is trying to get me to show this to the grandkids in California through FaceTime. You know, get, get them Baby Yoda and show them what it does. And so I'm, I'm, I'm hitting it on the head. She said, you don't hit it on the head. <laughs> you just put your hand gently on its head. See, isn't that like a mother, though? <laughs> Mothers know how to treat kids. I was going to smack the thing on the head till it makes a, <laughs> makes a sound. I thought, how convenient. You know, kids aren't that way. You know, you don't just kind of put them over here and they're, they're not going to move until you come back and put your hand on their little head. They're going to wake up in the morning, doesn't matter what time they went to bed at night, they're going to wake up in the morning. And I feel this, that it is an incredibly demanding period of life for a mother. So we enter into this stage of activity where... Mary is, I mean, she is full-time, fully engaged with these, with these kids because Jesus was not the only child in this home. We have references all through the New Testament, the other siblings. Can you imagine what it would be like to have a, per you, think, you think you're perfect, don't you? <laughs> yeah, well, you know how that, that would go. So what... What is the significance of, of her role in this? I believe this, that the woman has more power of influence in shaping the lives of children than anyone. It's not, and I don't want to take away from dads, because I, I feel like dads are huge in setting tone and stability and leadership and guidance and relationship. But moms put a face before the kids of what God is like. They are the ones, moms are the ones who engage in every moment throughout the day and have influence over these children. It is not a glamorous role. Where's the, where's the practical application in that? A lot of things that God calls us to are not glamorous, sensational, or the world goes, yeah, you are really cool. You are amazing. I can't believe all the things you do. You know, you don't get a lot of applause. And I think that's what makes it so difficult because there is not a, a lot of immediate satisfaction. There are moments of it that are really joyful, but I mean, it is not the, the kind of thing that is, gets, gets you on the front of the magazine. But what she does is brings the reality of God into the life of a child where they can understand it. Now, we don't read a lot about Jesus in these early years. We don't. But we do have a text that I want to show you in the next chapter, Luke 2, that, it, that it ex explains really what was happening in the life of Jesus. It's, it's verse 52. So look at Luke 2.52. And this, this is described uh, for us. Very last verse of chapter 2, it says, And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature in favor with God and men. Did you pick that up? There are four areas. To me, they're very clear areas. Each one is, carries just a tremendous amount of weight and, and describes what Mary was doing. Because this is, this is Jesus in his formative years. And he was, in other words, developing, maturing, increasing in these four areas. The first was wisdom. Notice it didn't say knowledge. What good does knowledge do if you don't have wisdom? Wisdom is the ability to rightly apply the knowledge that you have. And so this is taught. 
you, you say, well, Jesus didn't need to be taught and everything. You know, and it is a bit of a mystery how you have God and man blended together, what it would be like to be a mother. I mean, it was like, I like to kind of watch a day <laughs> of what that was like. But I still believe that, that all of the things that Mary would do for the other kids, she would do for him teaching him content of knowledge and the application of that knowledge to really have the knowledge, wisdom, understanding to be a wise young man. Then he sa- it says stature. So, so you have the, the component of spiritual, intellectual, um, emotional, the internal, you know, part of this son, and then you have the outside, binding up the wounds, scrapes on the knee. I think Jesus went through all that stuff as a kid. I don't think because he was perfect, he didn't fall or stumble. I think that it's hard, it's hard to say on a lot of that, but I think that she cared for the physical needs, eating well, getting to bed on time, setting up a schedule, for these kids on the physical external things. But then notice what it says about the last two. Favor with God and with men. Do you remember how we started the message? Favored one, (laughs) favored one. So the the relationship that your son or daughter has with God. Most important thing of their life. And I think, you know, dad can teach that and model that and do a lot of things, but, but the mom is the one who is throughout the day making the application, making the application, making the application, responding to things. And I think how tough it would be to be an imperfect mom and have a perfect son. <laughs> that, would be, that would be tough. But I believe this, that she continually nurtured a relationship with God and with people. How do you relate to your siblings? How do you relate to your neighbors? How do you relate to those who hate God? How do you relate to strangers? All of these things are being taught because life is about relationships. So I would say this woman is, I mean, she is just pouring her life into Jesus. The most tangible thing that I had growing up about all of this was my mom. Diane describes my mother, my, my mother, um, five years ago this week, she passed away. And Diane would say, your mom had a yes face. And I thought, you know, that, that so described my mother. She had a yes face. Now, that doesn't mean she always said yes to me. <laughs> but she had a welcoming, warm face. And, and for me, as a kid growing up, the only way I could picture God or what he's like would be through the authorities in my life. And she provided a great picture. It was not a perfect picture and no mother, so let's, let's just get through that right now. No mother is a perfect picture. But even when she'd fail, she would help me point me further to Jesus. So that's the activity. When I look at our young moms with these kids running around, I'm thinking, oh, I think two things. One is I'm glad I'm through that stage. Other is, <laughs> that's really cute. Um, but I think, what, what, do you realize the incredible opportunity? And yet the world will scream, you're wasting your time. Don't listen. (laughs) So from activity, we come to the most fun part of this. Five, this is number five, phase of life, adolescence. (laughs) What happens to a young person when they turn 12? Anyone here got a good answer for that? Sometimes I, I, now for those that are 12 here, you know, I, I'm just, I'm having a little fun with this, but I, I, I still remember when, when one of mine hit 12 and I'm going, what has happened? What has happened? They're going from child to adult 
And right in this area right here is like this non-human existence. And I've, I find it so interesting that there is, a, between the time Jesus is born and when he's 30, there's only one time that we hear of a real incident. It's in John chapter 2 about Jesus when he was 12. <laughs> 12 years old. Have you heard of the, uh, the Jews celebrate bar mitzvah? Have you heard of that? It's, it's kind of a celebration of uh, what they hope is, and, and it, it's not really an exact age. It's kind of like that time period between 12 and 13, but it's when you're hoping, <laughs> expecting that this boy is going to become a man, or at least accept some of the man responsibilities. So they're entering into this, um, you're a kid, hey, enjoy it, you're a kid, now you're 12, you're going into 13, okay, take on some responsibility, and we're going to celebrate that transition in your life. And so as a, as a mother, it's, it's not an easy thing, because you're pretty much controlling activity, behavior, schedule, all of these things, you tell kids what to do, just do that, sit there and do this, we're going to, now you're going into this where they are making decisions, need to make decisions, mean, need to grapple with failure, um, and some bad choices. You think, well, what, which ones? I mean, so there's a lot of transition going on, and, and it takes, as a parent, an incredible amount of wisdom to be able to slowly let go of this controlling relationship to where you're basically having conversations, and there's no magic formula. We were having a conversation with a group of guys this last week about parenting. And, and you know, it seems like the longer I live, the fewer answers I have. <laughs> um, I just know this. Get on your knees and stay there for your kids until Jesus comes. Keep on loving like Jesus loved you. Don't ever give up hope. Don't ever, ever give up hope. But they will have to make a decision personally whether or not they're going to follow Christ. You cannot make that happen. You cannot make that happen. You can have influence, but you cannot make it happen. The adolescence, um, to me, is, 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 is challenging. I find in so many ways we grow, a mom will grow as much as the kids are growing, of learning how to trust God. And, and at times to take responsibility. But what's interesting in the story in John 2, and I, I've kind of talked about the story, so here's the story, and, I, and I'll just summarize this rather than reading it. But they, they're going to the temple. Now, if you go to the temple, wherever you live, you go up to the temple. In fact, if you read all the Psalms, Psalm 20, 120 to 134 are called the Psalms of Ascent, so Ascent. And they are the Psalms when people would come to Jerusalem for one of three feasts of the year. And one of them was Passover, celebrating God's leading the children of Israel out of Egypt um, with Moses. And so it's just an interesting, and the reason I mention that is because many of you are doing the, the, reading the Bible chronologically, and you're in the Psalms, and you're in actually these very Psalms. And so when you read that, you're thinking of there's a lot going on, the Psalms of Ascent, of coming to worship. So everyone comes to Jerusalem. I mean, everyone is coming to Jerusalem. So you come with family and friends, and you, know, you got a 12-year-old, they're, they're hanging out, with their, they're running over here with their friends and doing this, and, and you don't really, it's not like today, you know, going downtown and you're looking, where, where are my kids, where are my kids? It's, it's like one big happy family heading to Jerusalem. So when they're leaving, heading back home, they go for the whole day traveling and they can't find Jesus. And three days later, you can imagine how a mother would feel, because <laughs> we've had that before. Um, and, and you know how it, your, your emotions start to escalate when you can't find your kid? Anybody ever been there, you know, for a brief moment? And it's like just all of a sudden panic starts to set and you're trying to calm it down. And, and so three days gone by and where do they find him? in the temple. 
and she's kind of exasperated with her son, is what, what, what are you doing? And he's, he's been asking questions. I thought it was interesting. He wasn't lecturing the scribes and Pharisees as a 12-year-old. He's asking questions, but they marveled at his questions. He'd been there for three days asking questions. And he said, didn't you know that I needed to be here about my father's business? And it says that she pondered those things in her heart, Mary did, just like there's something. Because, she, see, she knows more than everybody else. She's, she's seen Gabriel, all these events, and, and I believe, I don't have any text for it, but I believe she saw evidences of his miracles, even as a child. Now, I don't think he went around impressing people. <laughs> I don't think that's the way it was, but I think she saw evidences of him being supernatural. You can't be a mother and not see some of those evidences. But it says she kept these in her heart. So this is adulthood. The John 2 passage that we come to, um, we follow adolescence. Um, he's 12 years old. And number six, if you, you follow these, I have them, is anticipation, announcement, arrival, activity, adolescence. We have two more. One, adulthood. Adulthood. So from the time Jesus is 12, we don't hear any more of the events until he's 30. Now I know we think, man, you're 30, you're an old man. I mean, 30, whew, that's old. But he's at a wedding and they run out of wine. That's a big thing. In a Jewish wedding, they run out of wine. So mom comes to Jesus, and, and, and that's why you got to kind of read into this. And she says, hey, they ran out of wine. And his response is, why are you looking to me? Well, I think she knows what he can do. That's what, I, that's what I'm, I'm reading into this. She knows what he can do. And he says, why are, you, why are you asking me this? My time has not come, or my hour has not come. In other words, he hasn't done any miracles publicly yet because he knows there's going to be a certain point in time where he begins his three-year ministry. And she must have been a pretty persuasive mom because he performs his first public miracle. And they have the best wine they have ever had. There comes to a place when you have a 30-year-old son you're no longer tucking him in at night, singing him bedtime stories, but you, you watch him, you pray for him, you help him. That's the wonderful thing about the stages of our lives. Is they're, they're, we're in transition. We're in transition. You know, we worry about the last year. You know, I want to get back to normal. You'll never get back. Everything is always changing. It's always changing. So we embrace that. Now she's in a place... And I think in the adulthood life, that was the very beginning, was John 2 of the miracle, the wedding in Cana of Galilee. It was an amazing celebratory event of making wine. The last place we see him is in John 19, he's on a cross. Sometimes I think how a mother could look at that. I'm not a mom. I think how a dad would look at that. The injustice, the betrayal, it's not right. They've beaten him, they've bruised him, they've pierced him. He's bleeding out. She was there for six hours as he hung there. And he spoke to her and he said, Mother, behold your son, speaking to John, about John. John, behold your mother. In other words, he's saying, John, take care of my mom. 
Mom, take care of John. She's probably a mother to a lot of people. And she, she watched all of that. She had seen this from the announcement from the angel. When he's 12 at the temple, all through seeing him grow up as a little boy and being 12 and then a teenager through the adolescence, becoming a man. He's, he's part of his dad's, um, I call it Joseph and Son's carpentry shop. <laughs> it's probably, you know, just doing, what did, what did he do when he's in his 20s? Probably just making cab, cabinetry things, building buildings, doing things with his hands. That's what he did. And still growing, ready for this. And then at the age of 33 and a half years of age, he's crucified. And I think that there are some times as an adult mother that all you can do is watch and pray. You're going to find yourself at that place. Those of you that your kids are grown and gone, you find yourself at that place. And sometimes it's the most agonizing and sometimes the sweetest thing you'll ever do. You agonize in prayer for your kids. But you're not in control of things. This is what God's doing to her. Do you see that like in every phase so far, God is showing his favor to her. And on the surface, it doesn't look like favor. It looks like, what is this? But God is showing his favor. So we come to the last part, awareness. So after he is dead and after he is risen, there are two instances after his resurrection that we find Mary with him. And then he ascends into heaven and he's gone. And then in Acts chapter 1 and verse 14, we read about where she is in the upper, upper room. It says, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. <laughs> you know, even, even his brothers and sisters, and I'm sure got sick of them, now were followers because <laughs> they saw it. Now it's, it's becoming clear. So there comes a, a place, moms, mothers, and for all of us, where you begin with an announcement of an impossibility. And you walk the journey of this life following Jesus. Every phase is hard. Every phase tests your life. But every phase, God is good. And he shows his favor to you. And he will accomplish his purposes. And at some point, you get to the end. And there you are. And you look back. I shared with you a few weeks ago how my mother-in-law lives with us. She turns 92 this year. She's going through boxes of letters and files and memories. Been helping her move these boxes around as she goes through them. It takes a while to kind of read through letters from the past that bring up memories She's not at a place now where she can go, well, the next thing I'm going to do is, well, you know what? I've got a new career in mind. Her, her life is now drying cement. It's formed. She's still got some great years, I think. But you know what? Most of it is in the past looking back. And, and you know, you've got to now live with what you've done. And what I see coming out of those boxes are not priceless baseball cards <laughs> or coins that are worth millions or bank accounts 
They're letters and notes and pictures of relationships built with people. You know, now <clears throat> you think they had five kids, which is big family back then. Be big, even bigger family today. Five kids. And you think it's kind of like all of her life was stopped <laughs> pouring into those kids. Well, that five kids is now 56. Man, can you imagine birthdays and Christmas? And I mean, this is like 56. And here's the thing. She is in tune with every single one, in touch with every single one, praying for every single one. And I see this in her life of looking back, the awareness of what really matters. There are a lot of things you can chase in this life. A lot of things you can invest your time in. But at some point, whether most of us probably not going to live till 92, but you, you look back. And I think it's the same feeling that Mary had at the end, favored one. I feel so blessed. I feel so blessed. And my challenge to you today is that you would see that you are his favored one, known and loved, and he's for you. He has a plan for you. It is impossible, <laughs> but he's there with you, and he will bring it to the place of joy. So at the end of this, and this is what I'm going to, for my wrap-up and takeaway, and I'm sorry I've taken a little more time on this, <clears throat> But you knew you were in trouble when I said seven points, I know. <laughs> but here, to me, what better takeaway than just reading the end of Luke 1, 46 to 49? I mean, here's the response to the announcement. <laughs> and she said, my soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. For he has had regard for the humble state of his servant. For behold, from this time on all generations, they will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. And holy is his name. Favored one. Favored one. Favored one. What will be your response to that announcement? Let's stand together as we close in prayer.